You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 91 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we are coming to you remotely from the booth at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York, and the Emma S. Clark Memorial Library in Setauket, New York. Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Chris, were you trying to give me a hand sign? No, I was just pointing because you were there and I'm here. Oh, okay. All right, good. <laughs> and please check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Consider leaving a review or tell someone about us because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. Today we're speaking with Pair 2 Perlin. Perlin? Close enough? Perlin. Yes, okay. yes. <laughs> Who's the author of the great book Future Skills. Pair 2 is a futurist, inventor, and author. He has studied future technologies at Singularity University based at NASA, Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley, co-founded an ed tech company in Myanmar, written two books, won EU's biggest science competition for youth, and in 2018, the MIT Tech Review honored him among 35 innovators under 35 years of age in Europe. He also was featured on TEDx and has spoken about technology and the future all over the world. You can learn even more about him by visiting his website, P-E-R-T-T-U-P-O-L-O-N-E-N.com. And we're going to speak to Pair 2 about learning from failure, lifelong learning skills, the difference between technology and humanity, and whether diplomas and certificates should have expiration dates. Can't wait to talk about that one. But first, let's have a chat with Pair 2. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today because your book puts forth the same philosophy that Bob and I have subscribed to for such a long time. And we'll get into that later. In your TEDx talk and in the introduction from your book, you talk about the experience when you were in kindergarten. Can you share that with us? And how did that influence your role all these years later as a futurist? I think it was one regular day at kindergarten when we were about five years old when we had found a hole in our worldview, which was we didn't know what makes a person wise. Like that just, we didn't know what makes a person wise. So we, we ran to our teacher uh, and asked, you know, what is it really that makes somebody wiser than another? And he said that, well, and, and, and you know, he was joking, but we only figured that, that out later. He, he, he said that, well, the more a person has been around the sun, you know, the more times he has rotated or you know turned around the wiser this person is as well because and he explained that for some reason in your brain wisdom is being developed in this uh, circular motion and and that's why usually parents are older than children because you know they've had more opportunities to rotate and turn you know (laughs) in their lifetime and that made sense to us kids we were like oh okay so so that's what makes a person wise. So we ran to the, to the in the yard and started spinning, and we were spinning for hours and hours and hours, thinking that we're making or doing ourselves a great service. And uh, <laughs> we, only later we figured out that well, maybe that wasn't true. But actually, I, I could say that he was right. You know, after twenty years, I, I could say that the more person has changed their perspective and looked at things from different angles, probably the wiser they are. 
But um, that's just one story that I kind of wanted to include in the book to kind of, let's say if somebody ever accuses me of being wise, I will say them that, well, it's because of my early childhood education and all those hours spinning. <laughs> I just love that story because it's a, it's a childlike way of just trying to figure it out. And it even shows at that age. I mean, this, this was kindergarten, Bob. I don't think I was this wise in kindergarten. No. And you know what? To be honest with you, it sounds like it worked. So keep keep spinning. And I'm going to go spin in my library. I'm going to uh, use my chair and spin around yard in a couple of minutes when I get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Just to you see know, if I get a little wiser. Uh, the other day, we asked the same teacher, like, why do people die? Because, again, we didn't know what would make people die. So this time, this teacher said that <laughs> that's actually funny. He said that every time you hurt yourself, let's say your knee, and blood gets out, um, that's bad because there's only limited amount of blood in your body. So, <laughs> you know, when you run out of the blood, uh, the, the blood, um, then eventually, you know, usually at seventy, eighty years of age, you die. Uh, and when we actually like something happened, we an accident happened. And, and, and there was blood coming out. We were like panicking and shocked. Like, oh my gosh, we're losing years in our lives. Like quickly go and, and get it like fixed. And, and <laughs> then later on we figured out that, well, that's not the case. So the heart pumps new blood and, you know. But um, then we, we figured out, well, maybe the parents just want us to be safe and not hurt ourselves. So that's why they really care about, care about it. It's <laughs> such a great story. Yeah, they didn't want to see blood, right? That's what comes down yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that Chris and I love doing at our libraries is helping people discover the inventor inside of them. So tell us what drove you to be an inventor, because that's a bit of a throwback to the time of Edison. And we think that we all agree that someone like Edison was a futurist at the time as well. Yeah. You know, I actually never intended to be an inventor. And I, I think quite well, like, there's not many people who do. It's not something you change kind of just decide to do but i was actually at the library um and i can say that my life changed in the library because it was one afternoon i was 15 and i had gone to the library to wait my mom to pick me up i think in the afternoon and i was reading these books about music theory and i was interested in composing and i wanted to become a composer so i needed to know the theory so i was going through the books and there's one book that tried to explain music theory in in a new way, you know, not with a stave or staff, but rather, you know, in circles or in, in, in like waves or in Excel columns. And I think that was like a wonderful idea. I've never thought it that way, that music could be presented um, in a completely new, new fashion. But it made me thinking that, well, the way we normally present music is just one interpretation. So why don't we try to do something different? Because as it is right now, music theory is quite difficult for many people. So I started to think, could I reinvent music theory this way to kind of come up with a new way to present it? So I thought that, well, there's 12 notes. And I looked at the clock on the wall and I realized there's 12 numbers in the clock. So why don't I put the notes into the clock? So then I created this music clock and uh, that became my first invention. And, and later on, it got patented and got some awards. And that kind of started my entrepreneurship journey. So that, that's how I became an inventor. And obviously, later, I, I had other ideas as well. But um, I had just a you know, problem that I, I, I was facing myself. Music theory was difficult, and I wanted to make it easier for myself. So I came up with this idea. 
you know, it, and that's really kind of a neat thing because that's what we try to bring out here at our library with our makerspace. We try to encourage the idea, well, do you have an idea? Let's make it. And people are like, well, we can't do that. How do we do that? And then we as librarian facilitators make sure that we can help them develop that. And we've actually, we're pretty proud. There are a few products that have been prototyped in our space because people had ideas. So I, we're right there with you. We totally get it. And the fact that you did that on your own is, is amazing. And I think one, one thing that is wonderful about libraries is that there is a possibility for a surprise. Because when, when I Google stuff, I obviously only search for what I have in my mind. Like I already, I'm just trying to get answers to the question I already know. But in the library, I, I didn't know what I was looking for in a way. I was just, I just took a book and like went through it. And oh, there's on the page, there's this wonderful idea that sparked something in me and actually then later changed my life. So I think that's something we are a bit, I think missing today, you know, our apps and our, our software, our devices try to optimize everything for us. You know, they tell us the route to go to, they tell us what to do, when to do. And I think quite many wonderful things in life, if you think of your own experiences, for example, um, they've had some, let's say there was some element of, of a surprise, something unexpected happened. And usually those are you know, when, when life happens. So, in, in many ways, I think one of the best things is that I know that I will get inspired in the library, but I don't know yet what it will be. So I kind of have to go there to find out. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's just it's it, it's amazing to see when people can unlock things, they, a, 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 a skill that they didn't have before. So mm. thank you for validating that for us, because that 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 means the world to us. And you're in Finland. So it, it just shows the universality of libraries. So thank you for that. Yes. So, I think Finland is very, it's a big library country. Like we have libraries everywhere. And even the government gave us as a 100 you know, year birthday gift, they, they built a huge library in the city center. So we are big fans of libraries. So you mentioned that you're a composer and I've read that many people who have interests in technology also have a background in music. There's something about brain chemistry or brain, the way your brain works that you're more suited to music if, and technology. They're kind of the same thing. So Bob, do you play the piano? I don't play anything. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I, I shouldn't say that. When I was younger, I did play the piano and the French horn. So I don't play anything currently, okay. but yes, I did when I was younger. No. So it's never late to continue, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So tell us about your music. Is there someplace we can hear your music? Well, actually not yet. I should put something in line. Um, but yeah, uh, to your point, I studied composition and I, I don't know what it is, but maybe music and the structures and the fact that you have to be in touch with your creative side, but also your kind of analytic side um, is something that kind of happens when you develop and, and, and work and, and study technology as well, maybe. But for me, I've always been interested in systems and different kind of cross-disciplinary things, uh, to put it this way. You know, for example, when I was uh, in high school, I, I composed a Rubik's Cube. So I, I took the kind of colors and, and modeled the, the movements and put it uh, into a woodwind quartet. Was, so, so this was kind of, I, I wanted to take something and then make it into a music, uh, into music. And, and same thing, I composed chemistry when I was, 
you know, younger. And I always like this kind of structures and systems. So maybe that's just a feature in me. Um, that is that, so that cool. Is present in technology and music. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to talk to Pair 2 about futurism, the human condition versus technology, and what the future could look like and whether our certificates and diplomas should have expiration dates. I really want to talk to you about that. I'm really excited about that. So we'll be right back. And we're back with Pair 2 Perlinen. So we're excited to talk to you about futurism. Libraries have had a reputation for being very slow to change, and introducing technology can be an uphill battle. Sorry, library land. With creating makers, a makerspace in my library, the introduction of the new technology was embraced as far as the coolness of the premise. But when it came to learning the operation of the equipment, the number of employees willing to, quote-unquote, play was reduced by their own choice. So how do you inspire staff to learn technology and overcome the intimidation of futurism? I think we kind of don't have a choice. <laughs> to, I mean, we need to know the basics about technology. We need to, it's, it's common knowledge. Same way you know what, what internet is today or a computer or smartphone. You have to know the basics about 3D printers and virtual reality and quantum computing and blockchain and all these new information technologies because for the next generations, those will be just as common as what a smartphone is for us today. So as library is a place where you have all those young people, we want to inspire them for the future, right? And it requires the adults, you know, us as well, to kind of know um, where the future will go so that we can guide them in the right direction. I would also say that oftentimes, you know, I, I get it when people say that, well, it's difficult. Like, I don't know how to use these devices and these, these you know, softwares it's just a mess and many people say that it's the fault of like technology technology is difficult it's bad but i would say that it's not the fault of technology per se it's more than that you know the people who develop technology it's quite the group of people are quite homogeneous it's, it's very certain type of like the stereotype is that there's this young guy coder who makes these these these, these apps and obviously, the people who create the apps or, or technology in general makes it so that it works for them or, or they understand it. And then if you take somebody else, let's say from different demographic, 60-year-olds, they might not understand how it works because they weren't there developing. They weren't there kind of helping it come alive. So I wouldn't say that technology is difficult, but rather the group of people who developed it was too narrow. And And if we had, for example... 40-plus women overrepresented in developing technology, of course we would have very different kinds of devices and apps and tools. If we had over 60-year-olds overrepresented in, 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 in the developers, obviously they would make it look like what they are, who they are. So I would say that the people who think that, well, technology is not my thing and, and I don't really understand it, those are the people we need the most to take part and tell their thoughts when we develop those new devices. So, so it would be good not to kind of like be involved. Let's say this, you have to be involved in, in the process. And then I think the technology can serve you better. So I would say that we don't have a choice to kind of not take part, not be interested in it. 
It makes a lot of sense. And it, it's not going away. And it is going to be the future. So, you know, the idea is that if you're not the end user, you know, in a library, you're not necessarily always the end user, but you have to be the person that is either the super user or the person that's going to be the operator of that technology. So, you know, books are always going to be part of what we do, but the percentage is going down. And the percentage of what we do is, as dare I say it, Bob, we're futurists as well, um, thinking about how we're moving into the future and how we're going to be developing what the library does and, and the equipment that we use. That is the future, and the future is uncharted right now. Pair two, I'm going to throw a side question in here. Um, sometimes we ad lib and go a little off script, but how do you, what's your biggest resource to combat the fear that comes with um, the technology? So, for instance, we have a group of people um, in not just library land, but in commercial as well that just uh, they see technology, they see a certain application, or they, they, they look at any app and they just say, I, I, can't, I can't learn that. I can't use that. I'm scared. You know what? I'm scared of the whole device. Uh, I think I'm just going to retire. Um, so there's a whole subset of people that, that think and act that way, and we have to deal with that on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, if I asked you, like, where are you afraid of airplanes when you were brought up? You would say no, because we always had those. It's something that's completely natural for us. If I ask you, what about trains? Do you think it's, it's, it's unnatural or something we should be afraid of? You would say, well, obviously not, because we always had that, right? So we are not afraid or we don't find it weird, the things we are born into. You know, we take all that for granted. And for some reason, we think that it should stay that way. But we don't really question even the things that, were there when we were brought up. But if, if I asked some people, let's say a couple of hundred years ago, um, about airplanes, about trains, they would be afraid because flying was against the laws of physics, like it should have been possible to do. Trains, people said that, you know, you're going to die because you kind of breathe in, you know, in the speed. So people were like naturally afraid of new things, but the people who were born into them or, or who were born when we had those, they didn't have any problems with those, right? So my, 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 my point is here that if I asked you, are you afraid of, let's say, the fact that we might have a computer inside of us in some decades? What do you think about an AI party in the politics or AI leaders? Or what do you think? We can sequence the DNA straight from the toilet or we can upload our neocortex to the cloud. You know, these are crazy ideas. And many people would say, well, I don't think that's a good idea. Like that, that is a bit more troublesome for me. But my point is that the next generation, the generation after that, when they are being born into a world where we have these possibilities, they don't have any need to oppose it. They don't have any need to try to slow it down or try to change it. Because the same way trains and airplanes were natural for us, the, the examples I said will be natural for them. But for us, of course, because it's unknown, we, we, we have concerns about it. And it's, it's, it's only natural, but we might need to remind ourselves that even though it's not something that we are used to, it's not unnatural. Like it, it, it might still be worthwhile doing. And I, I, I think we always are concerned about the unknown, like what we don't know. In future, at this point, when it's it's developing, the technologies are developing so fast, um, it's very difficult to predict. And many people would love to have a world where we have control over things and we can really 
with our own decisions, we can affect the outcome. But right now, even I, even if I do all the right things and I do as I was told and asked to do, still I might not be happy with the outcome. So we had we need to kind of understand that now the world can be really it's not under our control the same way, but we still should kind of help the change happen and not try to oppose it just because it's new to us. Does it make any sense? It's difficult to kind of verbalize it, but I think. We have to be careful what we say is natural and unnatural. I guess this is my point. Um, so when we try to say that this is not something we should do, we really have to like question that. Why do we think that way? That's a good lead into our next question, right, Chris? So Absolutely. The, the vision is, is exactly that. So important when it comes to technology in libraries um, or any organization for that matter. So how should a library design a vision for the future with technology and help to introduce that vision to the public? I think it would be super important for all of us to create a close relationship to technology. Because if we don't do that, let's say if we never get our hands on microprocessors or, you know, transistors or if we if we never build a, a simple web you know or, or or whatever like if we never get to see how this all works um we develop kind of an attitude that you know we are not technological like like keep it aside from me like i don't i i don't i'm not that person and i think at that point the mistake has already happened. So we, we should not allow that to happen because if we, let me put it this way, the technology is is, is very natural and common part of our lives. Um, but just because we haven't been there building it or doing it, we might think that it's magic. We don't understand it. It happens somewhere in the box, but we don't see it. And, and, and we might think that it's not for us. But people don't have any problems with washing machine or, or microwaves like if you use it if, if you have a close relationship to it you don't think it's magical so i think we should just get more opportunities to see technology close up and i think libraries could be one of those places where it's possible for you to really see what's inside the box like what happens beneath the the, the covers and and that way um these devices wouldn't feel like they're out of this world or I don't know anything about them and I don't like it wouldn't weird us out. Um, so, so in this way, I would say that we need to build opportunities for children and youngsters to get their hands dirty with technology. So another concept you talk about in your book is the progress of technology and you describe how, Humans progress from the barn to the factory to the office and now, especially with the pandemic, who knows where. Technology is a reflection of humanity. And in libraries, we're still about the books, but we now do so much more. We have makerspace tech, digital books, meeting rooms, programs. We really have become a community center. How important is it for libraries to continue to evolve? And what do you envision based upon the experiences using libraries, the direction libraries should be moving towards? So I think what libraries have offered me, what I think is one of the best things is that even in like hectic city centers, it's a place that is quiet where I can really like 
slow down. I, I can stop for a minute and really concentrate. I think it's very valuable, the silence <laughs> in today's world. And I think it should be more of a place where you can come. You don't have to always like plan it. You can just come to the library, spend time there. You can read books, you can do whatever you want, but it would be more of a place that is open for all of us. And, and one thing I think would be wonderful to add to libraries, for example, um, is food. Just one simple thing, but, you know, you wouldn't have to go away to get food, but you could, you know, have, you could buy food inside, you can eat food inside. But but the point is, like, it would be a place where you can relax, where you can just be yourself, where you can learn new things and, and be curious. Because at least for me, one of the best ways to kind of wind down is to get interested in about something, like really study something, because it, it really, like, like I, I get drawn away when I'm really into, let's say, black holes and I study something that's really interesting. So I think libraries could be, in addition to a place where you study, where you read, where you, you know, uh, gather information, it could be a place where you relax, where you just be, where you can enjoy the silence, the slowness of life. And I think that's super important to remember. You know, that's really interesting you mentioned that too, because one thing that we pride ourselves here on is we, so a lot of, some libraries are like very industrial looking or they have this look and we try to make our library feel like you're in somebody's living room and mm. you're in, in somebody's living room and you can just relax. There's comfortable places to sit, but yet you can still do the cool tech stuff. You still have access to Wi-Fi. You can get on the internet. You can print something out. You can do all of these things, but it still has like a feel like you're in somebody's home. And I think... The, the the way that libraries can set a tone is the way that they're perceived and whether it's the furniture, the carpet, the, you know, the signage, all that stuff, you know, you want to make it as welcoming as possible. I think that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, people are at their most creative when they're having fun mm -hmm. and, and people are most themselves when they can be, as they want, like they can be them. Like in a library setting, if if it's like a living room, then I think you can get so much more out of them as well. So that's that's a win-win. Yeah, Chris, good point. You break down all the walls by making it comfortable at the onset. So when they first walk in, if they're comfortable, they're more likely to be able to innovate or or think of something outside the box, right? So. Right. So taking that concept of progressing from the barn to the office, you also talk about passing on old, outdated knowledge to the next generation. So library schools always teach the core of librarianship, and in some respects, don't always teach the newer technology-based areas of libraries. So our profession always facilitates continuing education, but should our degrees and certificates, here's where we get to the meat, right, that we earn in a university setting have an expiration date, or does continuing education help to extend those possible expiration dates? Yeah, so I think the idea that is behind the expiration date example is that we have to update our knowledge, our understanding as we update our phones. So it, it's constant. It happens in, in, in shorter cycles, I think. So we have to be beginners again and again. Um, and the idea that if somebody got their degree, let's say an MBA degree before Microsoft Excel, <laughs> and then somebody else got their degree like a couple of years after Excel. So they have a very different value that they can offer to the work environment. So even though there's only a couple of years between two people, um, the world 
changed in that time already quite a lot. And the degree, the, the skills that they were able to get from their education are quite different. So we have to kind of, we have to update our mindset that it's it's going to be more like, well, we know it's going to be a gig economy. We, we talk about entrepreneurship and, and micro entrepreneurship and, and we have to have many identities. We have to be able to, you know, adapt um, a lot. So I think when you approach degrees from this angle, like what if they had an expiration date, you kind of build in the idea that, okay, this is not going to help me forever. Um, and, and, and that's okay. I would say it's even wonderful that we get to have another chance in life if we want to study something else or if we want to kind of change our, our career path. So it's not a bad thing only. But anyway, yes, it would be very important for us to remember that uh, it's, it's going to be a constant change from this on. It makes sense. And that's why I think continuing ed helps with that. Um, but the, the whole concept, like you were saying, somebody gets their MBA before Excel versus after, after Excel. It's not just having a tech skill. It's, it's also a, a thought process. It's also an institutional way of functioning where the person who doesn't understand Excel may be even smarter and better than the person who understands Excel, but because they don't have that skill, it puts them at a disadvantage. And we see this here in, in the library profession as well, maybe not so much with Excel, but with regard to, you know, look, I'm, I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not really good with reader's advisory or a lot of the book stuff where there are some people that are amazing at that, but yet they don't know about slicing software or, or running a board or, or running a poster print or, or doing any coding or, or things like that. So everybody has their yeah. strengths and weaknesses, but I think the intimidation of not of being afraid of the tech is something that's a little short-sighted. And I think that, that the way that you can get rid of that short-sightedness is to break it down in baby steps and try to show those people that they may even have those skills that they don't even know yet because they're, they're too intimidated by the tech. You know, I was in, in Myanmar uh, visiting my friend and they had a, there was a girl about like nine, 10 years old whose birthday was coming up. And she told her parents that I want this factory on a table for my birthday. So this, this, this gift. And, and we didn't know what she was talking about. Like, what is this thing like factory on a desk until some Somebody realized, hey, she's talking about 3D printers, but she just doesn't know the word. <laughs> so it's a factory that she can put on a desk and it creates new toys for you. So wonderful. So we went and whispered to her ear, it's a 3D printer, okay? So then she ran to her mother and grandmother and, and shouted, hey, I want a 3D printer for my birthday. And she was like so excited, like eyes really bright. And, and, and I remember like witnessing this moment from afar because I saw that, hey, this mom, this grandmother, they don't know, they've never heard what this 3D printer is. And, and I started to think that, is there a possibility that we grow apart? Because we, we, we might not understand the, the reality of the other person. Like they have such different environment in which to grow up. So now the parents, the mom, the, the grandmother, they were not able to answer this child's enthusiasm in any way. And I was just wondering, like, what can we do so that this won't get worse, this kind of, how to call it, you know, this division. So I think it's super important to be interested in the world that the young person is and how they see it and what is important for them. And they are quite interested in technology and they are quite excited about that. 
So we can't afford the situation where you know the older generation doesn't know what they're talking about. And that's another great lead into our next question, because in today's world, many think the technology is controlling society, my father included who's 79 years old. It's another story for another day. You have a different thought with regard to technology because technology really is a reflection of us. Can you expand on that idea? So obviously we develop and we create what we find important or worth doing. And right now we have developed a lot of technology and technology can make us very powerful very quickly. You know, you can give one person a huge audience overnight and, and, and you can give them really a way to express themselves to the audience. You cannot make them friendly or compassionate or good at heart overnight. <laughs> it doesn't happen that, that easily. So it is possible that we have now these wonderful tools, but we humans are really that better. And now we use those tools to do not that good things. And I think that is a good reminder for us that even though technology might do many things better than us, you know, they, they don't make us better people. So we need to be careful with how we use the technology, like what kind of society do we want? And right now, the reflection, what we see might not be what we want, because we see there are actually quite big problems. And we see it starting from mental health, you know, the, the rising numbers and the burnouts and, and in many ways it feels like well we can do better right and now we have learned that recently but i think in the big picture because of the technology technological advancements it will force us to think what do we have we humans that technology cannot really deliver like what is so central for us that not a single bot or ai robot can do that and in a way the technological progress we will have a counterbalance. Like, let's say this, we can counterbalance it with humane value, humane skills. So I think that in the end, it will do us a favor. It will teach us what is really important at the end of the day. But we just might need painful lesson first. But I'm optimistic still that all of this, what we're seeing, will turn to something good. It might take a bit of time, but we will learn that the important things are still the ones that will remain you know, the same humane, humane things. Chris, I don't know if you agree with this, but the biggest thing that I have an issue with when technology comes into play in, in some folks' hands is the disassociation between human contact and human, you know, human interaction. And when you deduce somebody to being a swipe to the left or to the right, you know, that, 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 that human interaction is, is stifled and then everything becomes a game or, or some, or some sort of chip or some sort of device, you know, and you lose that connection. Well, you know, it's funny too, You're thinking in terms of like, let's say the Amazon Echo, Echo Dot and all that other stuff where, you know, say Alexa and then it does something. Saturday Night Live did a did a bit where it was old people, people who were, you know, it was the comedians, but they were dressed up as, they were, as though they were old. And they made the Alexa look like a, a radio from like the 50s. It was still that round cylinder thing, but it had characteristics of an old radio. And every single time they made people playing the old people say the name wrong. It's funny because like, hey, Odessa, and then whatever, what's happening, and, and it would answer, and then the old person wouldn't believe what Alexa was saying. There's a certain grain of truth to that where AI, like Alexa, those types of things, Google Home, 
is making things more humane, make, making things easier for people to use. We won't get into the, the nefarious end of things where, you know, you're hackers and all that other stuff. But thinking live on a rainbow for a minute and say that, you know, these are great things, especially for people who are disabled, who are elderly, who can't lock the door, can't turn the lights on, can't do these different things. But now they can ask Alexa to do it. Those are some of the things that can help people who are technologically challenged do the technology or interact with the technology without understanding a lot about it. And there is that certain grain of truth where the funniest part was it, it was what was playing an old woman. She's like, Alexa, turn up the heat. And Alexa says, it's already 95 degrees Celsius in your apartment. It's still too cold. Make it, you know, it's one of those things where there's still that clash, but at least mm-hmm. there's some type of interaction with the tech. So I think part of that is that new AI component is is allowing us to is it controlling society? Yes, but is it a human side of things? Yes, it is, and and that kind of fits in with talking about how technology is a reflection of us. And I think the point of like why why do we even do technology? Like why do we make new devices and tools? Is because we are limited in our own capabilities. Like we we do, we cannot see to galaxies, for example, with our own eyes. That's just our eyes aren't good enough. So don't worry, we make a telescope for you. Okay, well, we cannot see on the cellular level, microscopic level, so that's why we make a microscope. And the same goes with all the devices. If you think of it, why do we have internet? Because we cannot move information tele- with telepathy. You know, we, we cannot remember you know, a scene very well, so we make a camera. And in many ways, the point of technology is to kind of outperform us, like be better than us. And especially when we have limits um, technology can really help us a lot. So in many ways, it's supposed to make you kind of, well, I wouldn't say jobless or, or, or anything like that, but it's supposed to kind of take some things from you and in that way help you. And you're enhancing the skills that you, that you had, right? Exactly. And then kind of so, push yeah. towards what is you know important for us humans. What what can we do? But they cannot. So, Pertu, tell us about your book, Future Skills. Yes. Yeah, so, when I was in Silicon Valley, I I asked this one futurist, what would he study if he was my age? I was twenty one at the time, and I was expecting, of course, him to say something very big, trendy, you know, blockchain or synthetic biology or quantum computing, like that's the future. But instead, he said that well. I think it doesn't really make sense to study anything else right now than fine arts or philosophy. And and I felt like, wow, even like these big names, big futurists in Silicon Valley think that the character, the, the thinking skills, like those are the things that really, you know, will remain. And that's where you should start. And I started to think, well, if they sent me to school, what would I want them to study? teach me like what is what are the skills that i really believe in and so i created this curriculum for the future so 12 modules basically 12 skills that i think will become more important and i started studying them so why is it that curiosity or problem solving or creativity or compassion and so on why do we need them so in the book future skills i go through each one of them and explain why they will become very important for us humans and how to also um to learn them so this was kind of the idea i felt like it's important to know what's happening in the technological world but it's even more important to understand how it will affect us 
So what kinds of skills um, are we required to learn because of that? So I, 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 I have very optimistic like human approach. I really think that we should not only be interested in what will change, but also what won't change. And um, those, I think, are the most important things in life, the things that really we can rely on. So maybe and hopefully in these uncertain times when people might be afraid of the future, they could find some hope, some, you know, warmth in these ideas that, well, curiosity and creativity and compassion, these will stay. So be good at those. And I think you'll be fine. You know, what's great about this book too. It's not written in some kind of tech language. It's not written so only people who understand technology can understand it. It really is written for everyone. So if there are people out there that may be a little hesitant to read this book, I suggest that they take it and they order it for their library and they um, they take it and read it because it's it's boiled down and it's written in in common language that everyone can understand. And it's concepts that are things that are floating. I know in my head, and Bob, you'll probably agree once you take a look at it, um, you know, these are simple concepts and these are simple concepts which then lead to asking the next question. And even just the way the book is structured, it leads to the next question. And I think at the end of the book, it leaves you wanting to now take that next step and take a deeper look into the tech and the reason why we do what we do and, and the human side of technology. And, you know, that's why I love this book. And it's it's such a great read. Thank you for writing it because it's 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 everything it's every philosophy that that I know Bob and I espouse to. I can't wait to read it. Send it over when you're done. Yeah. It's very nice to hear about the language because I really paid attention to not use jargon <laughs> in there and to really explain things in a way that a 10-year-old could understand them and read them and that's why Chris and I understand it. <laughs> now we get it. Now exactly. we get it. Okay. Great. Thank you for writing a book for us. It's good. <laughs> Oh yeah, but yeah, it, it's 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 written in a way that's not intimidating. It's not like you said; it doesn't use technical jargon, and it it boils it down to its common elements, and it's actually quite philosophical. So you're gonna you know, add it to the collection, Chris. When yes, we're, we're gonna actually order two copies for our library and and put it okay. in our collection. Put one in professional development too, because I think this is a must read for people. This should be a library school book. Oh, future skills. So you know what? I'm just going to order one for for myself here at the library, and then I'll circuit to the staff, and then I'll put it on the shelf. Absolutely. So this is something you do want to check out if you're looking to order something uh, for your technology collection. This is is great. And I haven't looked to see how um, OCLC catalogs it, but it could be put in philosophy as well because that's how well-written it is and and conceptually how, how good it is. So. We're going to have to send it to him to get signed, right? Will you sign them? <laughs> yeah. I hope he comes to the U.S. maybe next year. So. Okay. Oh, that'd be oh, great. We'll you can come back on and come in dinner, person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So thank you okay. for taking the time to speak with us today. Futurism is something that Bob and I embrace on a daily basis and something we talk about in our monthly technology meetings, the TIFF meetings and the joint meetings with Nassau County. So thanks for expanding the explanation of that end of your th- and your thoughts on technology and being humans. So again, just to throw your plugs out there, you want to go to pair2pelanin.com and we'll put the link in the show notes so everyone can see it. Is there anything, any other thing you want to publicize other than the book Future Skills? 
Well, I think the book really tells it. Like I, I put a lot of effort, a lot of time into it, and, and it's really nice to hear from you that even though it's written, you know, over here in Finland, and I use examples from Finnish culture, it still resonates on the other side of the world. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And and in Finland, you know, I've got a lot of fans from 10 to 80. So it's it's uh, it's it's really nice to hear that you know even you felt like anybody could read this. So oh yeah, that, absolutely. That makes my heart. It definitely resonates, and it resonates for what I do here. So I'm pulling a lot of your philosophy there to to institute it, uh, just in how I manage. So so thank you mm. for that. It, it's just part of this is an affirmation for me, and part of this is is a learning experience for me. So again, thank you so much. This book is amazing. Thank you, thank you. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippin Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.